0: listening to Who Run The World, a podcast about female leadership in the workplace, and I'm your host, Marilyn. Today we talk to Elsa Aoun, who's the co-founder and CEO of Unusa, a media company that creates content for women in Arabic. Elsa is a friend of mine. We've known each other for a long while, but she was also the first person to say yes to being on our podcast. So we think of her as our lucky star.
1: Here we go. So I had a very normal childhood. I grew up in Beirut. I went to a lovely school and I spent all of my school years there up until graduation. And then I decided to study engineering. So I did that also in Lebanon, in Beirut at uh, EZID, which is the Faculty of Engineering of USG. So let's unbox that a bit. So engineering school, lots of boys. Lots of boys. Really like we were a class of 90 persons and 10 girls really a very weird ratio. Did that
0: ratio mean that you felt left out? Or did it mean that you got all the attention? What was it like being there?
1: Actually, I love this for several reasons. First, because, well, uh, my school, it's a girl's school. So it was a big change for me to completely shift to uh, engineering school where we were a minority instead of being a majority. I liked that because it was a change. And because I made a lot of friends, actually, working together uh, four hours in a row uh, on algebra <laughs> formulas, So really, it, it, it makes strong bonds. That lasted about, what, four or five years? Did you work after that? I did not work. I completely left just after graduating because I was longing for discovery. I wanted to really get out. I felt like I was trapped and I wanted to discover a lot of things, other culture, other backgrounds. And I felt that traveling abroad and having an experience in education first was a good way to do it. When I wanted to go to France, I was like so happy. I didn't even cry. I was like, yeah, I'm leaving, I want to go. There was so much expectations, And also there was no fear because of many things, because of the need to discover, but also because we were a group. I told you before, like we were 90 in class. Among these, maybe more than 50% uh, who were traveling after graduation. And a lot of them were going to the same places. A lot were going to France, a lot were going to London. So it was like summer camp. I'm traveling to do my studies, but I'm traveling with my friends. It's going to be great.
0: Elsa decided engineering might not be for her. She realized she'd rather learn about management. So she applied to business schools in France. She went to HEC in Paris and got a master's in management with a major in finance. Her now husband, Waseem, had been to the same university as her and he decided to follow her. He had a choice to go to the US and continue in his engineering career. Or go to France and get a master's together with Elsa. And that's what he chose. His master's was in e-commerce, which was pretty avant-garde at the time, if you think about it. It was 2004. It's interesting to see how the parallel track sort of starts in those early days. As Elsa decides to go to France, Wassim follows her. And the classes that they choose to take end up being at the origin of their company, which they're going to build in a couple of years.
1: Here's Elsa telling us the story. So I was in um, Masters in Finance and the objective back then or you know the aspirations of all the people who were in this class were to join a big investment bank in London so part of the people that they used to bring as panel speakers were mds or vps in these investment banks so we often had like the md of uh, structured uh, products in a uh, city or at, at Merrill Lynch or goldman sachs etc they used to come like these very arrogant very you know high profile people with the attitude of Only the best of you will come and work with me and so you really have to work very hard, you really have to be super aggressive. We only take the best and it's not only the best from France, it's from all over the world. Super stressful, super intimidating actually. So these were the profiles in that master's uh, versus the one that Wasim attended, they used to bring people who really succeeded in their businesses, and most of them were digital businesses, of course. So it was actually at the moment of the really internet bubble back then in Europe. And Wasim, for example, had once a speaker who was a founder of one of uh, these internet companies. She was very young, she was like maybe, I don't know, four or five years older than the people in the class. And she came with her dog, very fun, and she's like very accessible. And at the same time she was very humble. She said, I got some shares in this company because my boyfriend, he's actually the co-founder, but I used to be there and support them during the hard times. They gave me like some shares and now I'm a millionaire and like
0: that's it. <laughs> and is that what inspired you guys? Like would you guys come home in the evening and then discuss, you know, your depressed, angry bankers versus founder with dog? And is that how you came to want to
1: launch something like UNUSA? It made us think What do you want from a career? It's, of course, to be happy. And by happiness, it meant for us also success. Like, success was a big part of it. Success on the professional front, in our upbringing here in the region, or specifically in Lebanon, you have to be the best. And you have to be always, like, striving for the highest uh, grades, the best-paying jobs. You always have, like, these very high standards that actually were applied in my part of the master's, but the part of you creating something or being an entrepreneur was not really part of the equation. It was so different from everything we have been raised to become. So we were like facing that with a lot of fear, but curiosity at the same time. It didn't seem like very hard to do. First, we had to let go of the need to have this golden career and at the same time embrace something new that was completely different and really very risky.
0: As you said, in Lebanon, people have a difficult relationship with failure and by extension with entrepreneurship. And I always tell the joke, and I'm sure your mom did the exact same thing, where I would come home with my math exam and I would have gotten like a 19.5 over 20. And rather than congratulate me on my amazing grade, my mother, would look for the missing half. And so we are brought up in this context where you have to be perfect. And so our relationship to failure and experimentation is a little bit skewed by that. And yet you were exploring this entrepreneurship path But then both of you went for careers in consulting, right? So
1: how did that decision come into play? During the master's, we brainstormed a lot. But at the same time, we had to think of our future and of our career. So we continued applying for consulting, banking, etc. And whenever we got the jobs, we took them. But at the same time, we had already started working around the digital scenes. The good thing is that we started brainstorming, researching very early on about some ideas we could implement. And we looked at Arabic content, and this is where we found that actually there was something to do there. And then we explored several verticals, like is it going to be gaming, is it going to be children, is it going to be sports, news, etc. And we went for the easiest. In sports and in news, typically, you need to be constantly up to date. It's like hot content. You need a resource to be dedicated all the time to catch the latest and report back and publish. While we thought that in the female segment, most of the content was called, like it's going to be tips that could be applied today, that could be, that could be applied tomorrow. Again, because we didn't have any resources because it was complex to launch because we wanted something that we could do on the side, like just to experiment and test. We went for that. And that was actually one of the major decisions we took. And so you launched this in 2006? I mean, 2006, we were still at business school. We started creating the website. Wasim did it on front page. I don't think it exists anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Was it pretty? We found back in the internet archive or something, the first version. And oh my God. Are you ashamed? Yeah, I am. (laughs) But back then, I think... It did its job because we had this idea of we need to do something very colorful, uh, appealing to the eye with lots of colors, lots of purple uh, and pink. And actually, there weren't like a lot of font options in Arabic. There was only one or two. And when I look back at the font, it was like Tahoma. I think so. (laughs) It was Tahoma, actually. Yeah, (laughs) We did with the things we had at hand. And the easiest way. Did you write your first articles? No, I did not. We came back to Lebanon during one of the Christmas holidays. We started looking out for editors, so we went to Faculty of Journalism. We wrote on a paper. We're looking for freelance editors, etc. And then we got like a lot of uh, CVs. We wanted people to write very fast and just to send us the things by email. But the thing I did was reading after and like correcting. So I did a lot of corrections and I was very good in Arabic at school so it helped a lot. But I I didn't know how to type in Arabic. For a while, I, I used Yemli, but like at a certain uh, point, I said, I, I need to do it on my own.
0: Elsa and Wasim both went into consulting. Elsa joined AT Kearney, and Wasim went to work for Capgemini. It was during those days that Unusa, the website, went live. At some point, they both decided they were going to come back to Lebanon because they realized if they didn't go back now, it would never happen. But there was a condition. And once more, that condition had
1: to do with both of their careers. We said, okay, we're not going to come back to Lebanon unless we really have a good offer. And the good offer needs to be to both of us. So it was a very hard condition. You know, having a good offer in Lebanon, you know how the job market is here. It's very difficult. It's very competitive. In my mind, it was really impossible. So for both of us, but it did work out. So tell us about that, because there's a bit of a funny story there. I was approached first by a headhunter, and he was looking to recruit people who had an experience abroad to join a consulting firm a global consulting firm but operating out of Beirut to serve the region and uh, he told me okay would you be interested to come uh, to join the Beirut office I said of course I am and this is my CV and I started doing some interviews actually in Paris I loved the fact that it was a multinational. So it had these corporate standards of professionalism, meritocracy, all the things that I longed to work with. But at the same time, they were Lebanese. So it was like, whoa, it was not fair for me to think that way, because I never, you know, really worked in Lebanon. But from what I heard, I had this idea that you wouldn't be able to strive in a corporate environment in Lebanon. I was uh, very positively surprised in the interviews. And the last interview was actually here in Beirut. I got the offer. On Wasim's side, what I did is, once I got the offer, I suggested to the headhunter to also interview him because... I knew that I wasn't going to accept the offer unless he was to. So the headhunter Hunter advised that he applies for the job without saying that I was already in because it would have skewed maybe the decision. So this is what he did. He got the offer. And at the last moment, like just before signing and they were waiting, like, why don't you send the agreement? Why don't you sign? What are you waiting for? And I was waiting for <laughs> him to finish the round, actually. <laughs> just before I signed and I sent and I told the HR that actually, okay, I want to be really very frank with you my husband also got a job so what do you want to do do you want to take us they were shocked. They said, okay, I need to check. And the thing is, it was really um, a little bit difficult because we were applying for the same practice. We were both in telecoms. But at the same time, we had done the same uh, you know, process with another firm, but based in uh, Dubai. And uh, we told them and they were okay with it. So uh, one of the arguments I said, said, okay, if it doesn't work, out, it's fine. We're both going to go to the other company.
0: I have lots of questions related to that. One of them is something I've been thinking about that I was discussing with Rhea, our producer, yesterday. Hadi, I love you. So I feel like over the last few years, I've been the one driving where we live. So I met Hadi and he moved to Paris because I was there and I wasn't going to go anywhere else. And then I went into INSEAD. He made a lot of sacrifices to support that. Still developing his own journey, but I could tell that I was the one driving it. So I'd love to hear
1: how it was for you. I think it was always very consensual. The decision to go to France, yes, I was very motivated to do that. And he was... Practically wanted to go to the US because also his brother was there. But knowing the person he is today, he was not made to be a full time engineer. He's more in the management side, entrepreneurial side, actually. But uh, I had an offer in London and I had another offer to go into consulting in France. I took the decision to stay in France because Wassim were theirs. And for the decision to come back to Lebanon, I was not a fan of it. I wanted to stay in France. But the way we looked at things is that, okay, let's find a common ground and let's find the things that is good for both.
0: So as we were talking to Elsa and with Waseem popping in and out to ask her questions about the company, it became obvious to us that one of the strongest themes... In Elsa's career was actually the fact that it wasn't a career but two and I'd done a bit of research on that because me and my husband also have two careers and it's always been a question in my mind about how we manage them and so Ray and I decided to talk this out a bit because I think that there's a lot of different ways and different frameworks to approach dual career management and it's worth unpacking right here on Who Run The World.
2: Hi Raya. How are you? I'm great. So I don't have a significant other. So I want you to introduce me and our listeners a bit more about this dual career. Thingamajang and then we can talk about
0: it. When you're when you're in a couple, you have to start making decisions together as a couple, right? And you have to make them in a way that you are always both looking at your own personal interests but also in the interest of the family. And it's not always obvious. So I've met couples who are friends of ours, they have this rule where every three years, one of them decides where they're going next. They've gone from living in Africa to living in France to living in New York now, I believe, simply based on these three years he would choose and the next three years she would choose and it would be to the benefit of their careers. So I went into this and and actually there's a professor at INSEAD and her husband who write and research about this. Her name is Jennifer Petriglieri. And essentially she says that there's like three broad frameworks for how you do this. So either you have a couple that is driven by the career of one of them. So you have like a dominant leader in terms of decision making for careers. And then the second person, if they work, will just follow. Or you have the alternating model, which is similar to the one I just described. Or you have the model where both of them simultaneously pursue their best options. This is relatively simple when those best options are in the same country. It becomes more and more complex similar to Elsa's stories similar to mine similar to this couple I was telling you about where the best options may not be in the same country for both I'm going to take
2: Elsa's example because it's the one that we all have on top of mind where she got the job offer but if her husband wasn't going to get it they were not going to move from what I've read from what you've sent me it's also younger couples Millennials, I want to say, tend to be more within this dual career relationship.
0: Yes. And also it would appear that on the whole, couples that follow this, both of our careers are equally important model, end up being happier. I don't know if it's just wealthier maybe. I mean, I know it's funny, but come on, the reason we work is to make money, but certainly happier and certainly with less regret. And for me, it's always been a bit of a struggle as to how to make sure that in my couple, you know, both of us feel like we have the opportunity to bring our career to the forefront of the conversation, that the door is open that if something great came up, we would be able to discuss it and it wouldn't feel to the other person like it was unfair.
2: I'll ask you this because you're the one who's married. It's also compromise in a way. So let's say you got an amazing dream job opportunity in New York, but Hadi is like, listen, I just can't up and move to New York like this. And my amazing opportunity is still here in Dubai.
0: I mean, we recently had this kind of conversation, not so much about about the country, but about a job offer he was considering that, you know, would be not so great for me. And my answer to this was, if I look at this as a family, like together, him taking this job was better on the whole. So that's kind of my approach. It's like, yes, you consider these things individually, but then you say, okay, well, if you take this job and therefore... I have to go and do something else or therefore it doesn't no longer fits into my my schema that I had drawn for myself. How bad would that be compared to if you don't take this job? I'm going to sound like a cliche but marriage, any relationship in fact is is about compromise and that's where the ability to shift from sort of a not a self-centered so much as a self-minded kind of view of the world to saying okay Scenario A, we do what I want. Scenario B, we do what you want. But scenario C is which one of those is better for the family, collectively. And that's how I approach this, actually.
2: You know what I think is amazing? Is that 20, 30 years ago, like if I think back to my parents' generation, in the Arab world, it's always the wife who has to follow the husband. <laughs> that's right. Right? Well, so many instances where the couple is in a long-distance relationship and they decide to get married the automatic response I hear from society in Lebanon and elsewhere from Arabs is like, oh, is she going to be moving to Alaska? Like literally, like some of, <laughs> some of it would be, would be that. And then I would always say, wait, yeah, but what about her job? And they would say like, no, she's going to go be with her husband. Listen, no judgment, no judgment, but it's so refreshing to hear couples, Arab couples, Lebanese couples who are making this decision together. And it gives me agency that if ever I start dating someone and we get closer to wanting to live together and we have to decide this.
0: Yeah, that you don't have to. Because that's what I
2: was trained as. Mm -hmm. as, And if I can tell you the story of my parents, my mom, full heartedly, she did this and and she had to. She quit her job. My dad was a diplomat and we moved countries every so often. And it always was. She stopped everything to be with him and to raise the kids. And she stands by her decision. But when I asked her like, did you ever discuss this? She's like, No.
0: Yeah, it wasn't even something that It they, was
2: it was just what it was.
0: Yeah. I hear you. So while all of this was happening in their consulting jobs, Unusa was continuing to grow. They had more content, but more importantly they also started to have advertisers and they were able to bootstrap their company. At that moment Elsa decided to leave consulting. Wasim stayed on And she took Unusa under her wing completely. She built it, essentially, from that point onwards. And then, as Unusa became more and more successful, together with a couple of friends, they were inspired to continue this content creation in Arabic thing for other verticals. So they launched Sahati, which deals with health, and they launched Lulia, which is content for women in video format. At the same time, there was a hype for entrepreneurship in Lebanon with a lot of money being made available through newly formed VC funds and so they also spent a lot of time raising money, meeting investors and making sure that their company had the funds that it needed in order to become sustainable. Elsa started off working from home and then went to co-working spaces and then finally we met them in their own offices that they had moved into a few months ago and they were completely fitted out For their businesses and it was really great to see this company sort of come together and really come of age 10 years later to the point where wasim was then able to leave the consulting job and then join elsa and so she's the ceo of unusa and he's the ceo of the other two companies and they co-lead across the board on all of this here's more of their story going back to unusa then you launched this just before you started your careers in consulting
1: how did you maintain it throughout It was very complex to maintain because in consulting you have uh, long working hours and very compelling jobs and people are very competitive so you cannot allow yourself to give 80% or 90% of all your capacity so we used to do that in weekends in our spare times so actually it got the traction but I don't know really it's it's like a miracle it was growing that much because the only thing we used to do was to collect the articles publish them work on the back end a little bit and do some ads on Facebook and that was it other than that it was just paying some server bills it was was a lot of work but we used to publish around uh, five articles a week but you could not grow with that. The only growth we experienced was thanks to social media and this is where actually the effort was really very low. For me when I reflect on that we were at the right time to do such a thing because it didn't require a lot of effort especially because we put weight on the right things.
0: When was the moment where you realized okay this is more than like what we do on the weekend? this can turn into something
1: substantial. First, when we were still in France and we used to show our Facebook page to our colleagues, they were like, what is this? This is not real. Like, how do you get all these followers? What are you doing? We're posting articles we have this website oh my god it's an arabic amazing wow for women one of the objectives at the beginning we're writing to empower women in the middle east when i first started it this is what i wanted to do but with time and whenever you start thinking okay i'm growing my business but how am i going to make money and you realize that money is related to advertising and advertiser look for content that is like consumed by the majority of the people and not necessarily only the ones who care about women issues and this is when you start changing a little bit your strategy. So this perception was shocking for us. Like, okay, there is something here. And the second thing is when we got our first client and we hadn't done anything, it was an insurance company. They were very forward-thinking for that time, putting an ad online back then for insurance company. Wow, okay, we're starting to make money. And then we put Google ads. And then we got approached by an agency for sales. And this is when they came in and said, okay, guys, we love your website and everything, but you really need to change the interface. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Vasim. Let's talk about
0: one of our roles as women, which is motherhood. You left consulting around the moment where you became pregnant and were, was about to have a child. Tell us about that experience.
1: I continued the traveling and working as a consultant, you know, with a hectic lifestyle and every week travel up until the seventh month. Because I, I'm blessed with a really very smooth pregnancy, I didn't have any of the side effects. I stopped actually traveling just before delivering, and then I took my maternity leave and then another extended maternity leave that was unpaid because I didn't know what to do. Actually, I thought that the most common thing was to continue working, but I didn't realize that whenever you have a child, your whole life changes, and I think. I was very naive back then. I didn't have the maturity enough to plan it before and just to think that you you can't, uh, you are too strongly attached to this little human being that six months is nothing, you know, to leave him and like start traveling and seeing him like for a couple of days every week. The operating model was not accommodating for mothers because I didn't have the option to stay in Beirut and work. I had to travel to the client's, premises that were most of them in the regions. One of the options that was suggested to me was to move to Dubai with my husband and child because I probably would have higher chances of having a client in the UAE but I didn't want to do that.
0: But you also were not given a promotion that you were supposed to get.
1: I was promised a promotion before actually announcing to my boss that I was pregnant. I was on a certain appraisal cycle and they were saying at the end of this project you are going to get promoted and during the project I started showing signs of pregnancy <laughs> and then I went into the maternity leave and that was the second cycle of appraisal and I had of course applied to the promotion. I didn't get it because he said well I'm not sure you gonna come back so where does it take me if i give it to you now okay it's on paper but you're not gonna come back so i was very angry (laughs) normal but that was one of the reasons why i decided i was not going to come back and rather focus on something you know that was growing on its own that had a lot of potential and that was making me happy for wasim to jump in we had first to secure our life i had accepted to get a cut out of my salary at boost to be able to concentrate on growing the startups and launching new startups. And we could survive with that as a family because Wasim was still working. But for him to jump on board, this is like the pure financial question here. We couldn't afford to just run on really very low salaries what changed everything is that it was the start of the 331 and the funding opportunities came along. So this is where we applied for funding because we really wanted to first grow the company and second have the means to do it. So we applied to funds and uh, we had a lot of rounds, a lot of discussions, again a lot of pitches and meetings and we secured funding for the three. And once we did that Wasim had the, the opportunity to leave booze and come and join us because he would get the financial contribution that would enable us to continue living normally. And so tell us a little bit about raising money and your experience as a woman with the VCs. It was a process and I gained a lot of experience because I did not not once but three times and for three different companies. The common thing in the three is the fact that Wasim and I are both the founders. So I think a lot of women really need to fight not to be intimidated and second to highlight the fact that listen, I know what I'm talking about. It's not because I'm a woman that you know you should listen to my husband first or simply because it's unusa oh okay so it's related to women so it makes sense for you to talk about it. It's not that. Wasim was sometimes speaking about the process about the content and I was speaking about the numbers but in general I found the funds in Lebanon to be very supportive for women and this also translates into the fact that they also founded a lot of female-led companies and we made sure internally to split the speaking time because a lot of times men tend to speak more and then we used to fight, you know, at the end of the meetings. <laughs> like, you didn't leave me the time to speak. I wanted to speak. Now they think that it's all about you. You know, we, we used to have, like, these frank discussions. But it's really good to have them. And it's a major advantage we have as a couple also and as co-founders is that we are very frank with each other, Yani I never felt like I couldn't tell to what like You didn't give me enough space or you need to stop talking <laughs> i need to talk <laughs> just because of the image it's not because of anything i know that he could defend this sometimes better than me but it's all a matter of image and as long as we're both running a company they need to know that we are both there there's this
0: cliche and i want you to share just your experience right whether that's you know statistically relevant or not doesn't matter but there's this cliche that i've heard a lot of times and it's not just about startups like i've heard i've seen a lot of statistics about Businesses that are run by women, that women are more risk averse, but that also as a consequence on the whole, as a collective, they will generate more value because they destroy less value. I do think that there may be some leadership differences between women, but I'm more interested in your own experience. Do you lead differently? Are you less of a risk taker or more of a risk taker than Wasim? Like how do you compare yourselves in that that front?
1: We're very complementary. I believe that I'm more risk averse than him and it uh, translates into the way also we work on projects. I find myself to be very product oriented, more oriented towards, you know, the quality and he's more into speed of execution and getting things online very fast. It's very complimentary, but it is very conflictual. If we're launching a new project, I, I wouldn't go live with it unless it's really good because I always put myself in the shoes of a typical customer or a client or a reader while Watim is more geared towards the action. Let's go with it. If it doesn't work, it's it's fine, we'll arrange it later on. It's normal to have bugs. It is normal to have bugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Few ones. Do you guys fight about this stuff? Yes, a lot. It's actually very hard when we moved offices. You noticed we just sit right in front of each other. There was uh, once a visit from the fund manager, the fund that had invested in Onusa. He came in and said, guys, I cannot caution this. It's it's a risk for me. He was joking. It's kind (laughs) of a risk for him, like the two co-founders, husband and wife, sitting in front of each other. It's not easy, especially when you have different styles actually i wouldn't say that there is one style of leadership because i do believe that you change with time and i used to be less assertive more discreet now uh, there's a lot of changes going on in my personality so i'm more exuberant angry it's difficult to manage but Fasim is always the constant type the calm you know the diplomat what, what's the last thing you thought about uh, last thing we fought about was in a meeting with a client. You fought in front of the client? No, no, we did not. No, we, found, we fought after that because I found that he was too accommodating and he found that I was aggressive. He told me, like, you scared her off during the meeting. And I said she was being very, you know, snatchy. And then we fought. He told me, like, you need to have a poker face. I told him you need to be less accommodating and not say yes to everything. All these kind of discussions. Do you think you're aggressive? I wasn't at all before, and I started to become more aggressive. My aggressiveness comes from being tired.
0: But do you think that's a word that accurately describes you?
1: What would you pick? Pick a word. It's hard, you know, to pick one word. It's not one word, but I would say I accept uh, less and less compromises. I have a problem with labels, actually, because they really do not describe you. So they kind of limit you. I've been given lots of words.
0: I was told I was overly ambitious for wanting a promotion emotional, so that I would be told why I didn't get it. I have all these labels that were given to me during my career. And uh, I have to say, I got pretty angry later. At the time, you take it, right? You're like, sure, you're in the middle of a conversation, so you don't really pick up on the label. And then when you process it later that day or the next week or whatever, you're like, really? Are you joking? And actually, I'm going to be working in Dubai. And I'm pretty wary of how I'm going to come off. I'm pretty scared about that. I
1: don't know what it's going to be like. But it's something you're going to discover uh, along the way, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, no, exactly. I'm not very good at pretending to be something I'm not. So they're either going to take me or not. What you see is what you get. But I'm definitely, it's something in the back of my mind right now. You have two children. How old are they?
1: They are six and three. A boy and a girl. How do you manage that with the crazy life of a CEO? It's hard, but I think every mother would tell you the same, whether she is a CEO or a housewife. It's always hard when you have kids because you always want to give them more of everything, more of your time, more of your laughs, more of your smile, more of your memories. But actually, you're always running out of time that's the thing I find the most difficult and it's the guilt I'm sure you've probably heard that a lot but it's true you feel guilty because you don't see them long enough because you don't spend enough time with them because you only get to read one story instead of three but at the same time what my parents used to say is we always try to give them your best if the best is not enough then that's another story but at least from my side I always try to do the most I'm really happy to hear you say that I had a conversation recently
0: with an ex-colleague of ours who's a mom and who has like massive guilt and I told her that when I was growing up we were a single parent household and she had to work two jobs So she had a job that started at 8 and ended at 3 or 4. And then another one where she would come home only after I went to bed on weekdays. But on the weekends, she was 100% there. Like, I didn't see her the whole week, really. But I don't remember not seeing her the whole week. But I do remember, we used to have water fights inside the house. Saturday and Sunday lunch to this day, are sacred. I'm a 32-year-old, and if I'm not going to have lunch with my mother on Saturday or Sunday, I tell her ahead of time. Like, I'm not a mother, so I'm in no position to be giving someone advice, but I am a daughter, and I did have a mother who worked two jobs to support us, but I never felt like she didn't care, or wasn't there, or didn't give me enough time, because when she did give me time, she was 100% Present.
1: She figured it out. Spending quality time with you—that's the most important thing. I think whenever you spend uh, time with a child, but you're always on the phone, although you're there most of the time, they're not really enjoying it. Not they really know. Extro- you're not they there. know. Yeah.
0: They know. Since we're talking about your kids, Ray and I were once asked by our friends why we were doing this podcast. There are many reasons. One of them is we want to explore what female leadership looks like, and particularly in this region. But that's like the intellectual goal. The emotional one is that we were hoping that more people would be exposed to other role models, more girls particularly. And so my question to you, what do you hope that your daughter will think about your story in a few
1: years? She looks at me. I'd like to give her an image of achievement, but achievement through hard work. I'd like her to think that you can do a lot of things, but you really need to work for them.
0: Because I just said indirectly, but I'm going to say it now directly, that I consider you to be a role model. I want to know how you feel when someone says that to you.
1: I feel it's too big of a word, actually. For me, I have still so many things to prove, you know, before earning that, (laughs) really. Because... A journey, for me, it's a lot of things. It's, of course, a lot of hard work. And I think, really, I deserve that because I always try to work much harder than anyone else. But to get the recognition, it's always something difficult, you know. I I tend to uh, be skeptical about it because I feel I don't deserve it yet. Maybe one day I will.
0: Well, I'm telling you that you do. Raya recently learned to take a compliment.
1: And I think it's important. And I think
0: that it also comes with responsibility, right? Like, it's not just... A star on your shoulder and I think you you live up to that responsibility through the stories you've shared with me whether it's on how you deal with family or how you deal with your business or your husband or you don't even realize that you're doing all these amazing things I don't like the the work-life balance because I don't believe in that for many of us if you love your job work is life but there's a balance in you as a person and in your self-awareness and that's something We've been discussing a lot as well. I'm going to write it down somewhere and you're going to stick it on that board. So you're the CEO of a growing, successful media conglomerate, if I can call it that. What do you want to do next?
1: We just launched recently two other small startups in e-commerce because we're thinking about diversifying because we reach a certain level of maturity in some of the companies and we still find that there's A lot of things to do In the e-commerce Especially in the region We launched Ahati Care In December January 2018 And just like A couple of days ago We launched Lulia Closet For me in terms of achievement I think I really want those companies also to succeed of course and most importantly to grow beyond the border because we've been doing that out of Beirut now but in order for us to really do it well in e-commerce we need really to be present in a lot of different markets mainly in the GCC so next big thing would be to be present beyond the borders also making sure that our business is sustainable to be able to grow it beyond like the funding and be able you know to to grow it on its own and that's really a major challenge. I'm going to be asking this question to every one of our guests, which is, are you a feminist? And what is a feminist? What is a feminist? It's actually striving to giving equal opportunities for women without positively discriminating. And I think men can be feminist just by taking the right decisions and having the appropriate actions. Am I a feminist in that definition? Yes, I am.
0: So that was my conversation with El Saon, founder and CEO of UNUSA. I really love her story of building a career together with her husband, but also of taking ownership and building up a company over years to the point where her, her husband, a dozen employees and all of their families can live off of it. All of this while being a woman founder in an Arab country. I really think that's super inspiring. Of course, caveat, she and I have been friends for a long time, but that's even more of why I find her inspiring, because I've seen her achieve so many things and yet stay as you probably heard in the episode, incredibly humble and low-key. And I think that's just... I mean, I'd be gloating about all this stuff and Elsa somehow continues to feel super approachable, hyper modest. Here we go, signing this one off too. You are listening to an episode of Who Run The World, hosted by me, Marilyn, and produced by Rhea of Raisin Media. Please subscribe to Who Run The World on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify and Remy overcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts and if you want to find out more about the people who inspire us check out our website whoruntheworldpodcast.com or follow our facebook page Podcast. you can follow me on instagram at permanent hunger you can follow
2: Rhea on raisin no comment i'm not i'm not gonna say anything no we're thing. not gonna say anything about
0: this i think we've spoken enough me too me too stop
2: repeating everything i say
0: i can't help myself
2: thanks for stopping please
0: follow us we love you bye